Hello, everyone. My name is Kiran Kartala on Illuminate Higher Education Podcast. I have with us an exciting guest with us, Mary Beth Marks. Mary Beth Marks leads the enrollment at University of New Orleans. She is a vice president for enrollment management at University of New Orleans. At University of New Orleans, she manages the admissions, financial aid, or oversees the admissions and financial aid teams, to be precise, and also leads several cool initiatives that support the University of New Orleans community. Mary Beth, welcome to Illuminate Higher Education Podcast. Hi, Kieran. I feel like I should do jazz hands after that introduction, but I don't know if anybody can see me, but I'm doing <laughs> Thanks for having me here today. I was excited to get your invite to um, be a guest on your podcast, and I am ready to talk to you about all sorts of things between A and Z. Great. Well, let's get right into it. For our viewers, listeners that don't know much about enrollment management, can you just talk to us about what a vice president of enrollment has to do on a day-to-day basis? What are some of the big ticket items that you have to close to help the University of New Orleans community? So day-to-day basis, wow, that's um, tough because it just depends on what fires I left smoldering that I still have to put out from. (laughs) That's right. And which ones pop up that day that I need to take care of. So as always, everyone revolves around something to do with enrollment. Enrollment is key to almost every university across the nation, and it has been for several years now. And especially as we continue to lose state funding with budget cuts and those types of things, and enrollment remains remains a key issue for all universities. So on a day-to-day basis, I do things like meet with my direct reports from each of the areas that I lead, admissions, recruitment financial aid, events, new student events. And then I meet with other stakeholders like academic affairs, marketing, and uh, on occasion, I might meet with alumni relations or advancement. So that's kind of like, in a nutshell, you're really doing a little bit of everything without realizing you're doing a little bit of everything. Yeah, because you're kind of almost serving the lifeblood of the university, which is the students, right? As a vice president of enrollment management, you need to make sure that you're sending admissions letters to the right students and making sure that whichever students accept your admissions, they get the right financial aid. And once they get the financial aid, they get the support they need to be able to complete and hopefully pay back in donations as an alumni. So you're yeah. you're managing almost a full life cycle of the student. Right. Um, so this is a kind of very interesting because while we had, uh, you know, you're the president of the University of Louisiana system, Dr. Jim Henderson on, on the podcast, your perspectives are going to be very relevant here because I have my son is a junior in high school and there's a lot of discussion right now about, you know, Some institutions are accepting SAT and ACT. Some institutions are test blind. Some institutions are test neutral. Can you talk to us as, you know, enrollment management lead and one of those leading voices in higher education on what are some of the leading trends for admissions from a student or a parent perspective that we should be all looking out for? I think from the student and parent perspective, you should be looking for universities that are 
considering your student as the whole. So we know here at University of New Orleans that a student is not a test score. Now, there's so much more that wraps up into what a student truly is and what kind of success they can have in college. And most of us know that test scores, they have a purpose, but they don't necessarily predict how successful a student will be in college or a university. So this past year with the pandemic, it really gave all of us, I would say probably nationwide across the board, a chance to step back and say, hey, do we really need test scores like ACT or SAT to tell us whether or not these students can be, one, be admitted and two, be successful in higher ed? And so with the pandemic, we were able to be test optional. We became test optional. That's awesome. It is. And we're still test optional. And there's a couple good reasons why I support a test optional approach now. One, I think we could say, if anything, this past school year has been nothing but normal for your son, my sons, anybody who's coming up um, as a as a senior in July, you know, at the end of the school year, and we'll be looking at universities to apply to. Nobody's had the normal school year that we anticipated not the normal instruction. So we have to anticipate that test scores, if we required them, would be lower than usual. And for UNO, the area that we typically serve, which is the greater New Orleans area, most of our students come from Orleans Parish, Jeff Parish, and St. Bernard Parish, which are three parishes surrounding our area. Most of those students are first gen. Most of them do have a lower socioeconomic background and most of them are students of color. So we know as a whole that all of those groups were affected disproportionately during the pandemic. So whether they, their parents were unable to be off to uh, help them get their schoolwork done because they had jobs that required them to work face-to-face, they may have had siblings or other family members to care for. So while they were trying to get their own schoolwork done, they were also assisting other family members with, with sure. schoolwork. And then of, um, for our area, not all of them have internet access or a laptop to use, even though I know the school districts did a fantastic job of distributing Chromebooks and businesses and cell services and everybody um, did a, also did a fantastic job getting Wi-Fi access out there. It's still a disrupted school year. So it's, it's fair to say that we can't expect students to meet the requirements this upcoming year and maybe not even after right. that. Either. Yeah, I think there's a couple of dimensions to it. I think, first of all, I commend you for thinking of a test optional, because I think regardless of the pandemic, I feel like whether whether it's a GPA or a test score, it's only a small quantitative facet about a student, right? Mm -hmm. A full qualitative analysis of a student uh, will require, you know, maybe an interview, maybe some more in-depth analysis. So my my big question is, how do you supplement that? Yes, the test scores were wrong, um, or at least a provide a measure. But if if not for that, you have to almost look at each student and invest time to understand who they are before you make an admission decision. What goes into that process? Uh, because true qualitative analysis of each student will probably take you know, many more hours than looking at a test score and saying, okay, he is 1100. So I mm-hmm. guess he's not, he doesn't fit, you know, so how does it work when a truly 
qualitative analysis of a student? So for us, um, when you look at that qualitative analysis um, and the amount of hours you'd have to spend evaluating each applicant, um, we're fortunate in that the state sets our admissions requirements. So the state has let us be test optional um, through this summer, and we hope that they'll continue um, to evaluate their position on ACT, mandatory ACT and SAT scores. So they have a, a core GPA that they have us look for um, for students. And then if a student doesn't meet that core GPA, we are allowed to admit students that are below that core GPA. And then we also require them to take a placement exam. So that mm -hmm. helps us better understand where we should put them in terms of college level courses. That's not affected by placement exams or test scores or what, what our state um, sets for our admissions requirements is we're one of the few schools in the state that is um, awarding scholarships by high school GPA. So we decided um, around this time last year that we would look at a student's GPA and award scholarships based on the GPA. If we were already admitting them based on GPA, it's fair to also um, award scholarships based on a high school GPA. That's great. I think, uh, again, because GPA is definitely much more qualitative than a scholastic test, if you will, because for all practical purposes, SAT is really middle school English and math skills. A lot of it is about test taking and test patience then and grade a little bit than actual aptitude. So, but the other part that you mentioned was actually very interesting because over the last year, students were disrupted. Um, their ability to learn has been disrupted. Some of them might not have had as much uh, learning that they would have done in a truly immersive experience because of the COVID. So already in a, you know historically color black universities and colleges, you have a problem where uh, students are ill-prepared to for college, right? But then the COVID crisis makes it worse because, you know, they were historically unprepared. Now they are worse than that. So what measures are UNO considering to help students better, you know, to get out of the COVID crisis and as they enter their campuses, are there any special measures you're taking to better support the students as they enter the campus? We have a program called the Privateers Pathway Program, and that um, started out as a maybe five years ago. So prior to me coming here, the Board of Regents in Louisiana gave us permission to admit students who had two points below the test score requirement, ACT or SAT in math or English, um, on this special co-requisite admissions process. So once we were able to become test optional last spring, then every student who either did not submit test scores or had test scores that were below the requirements, we put into this privateer pathway program. So it's not a summer bridge program, but it does help students with additional resources. So it, it adds some scaffolding in there, which includes co-requisite uh, classes for math and English. So you'd be taking um, like your typical freshman composition course, but also a a not necessarily a remedial, but a English reading and writing called a booster class that, that goes along, dovetails with your college credit class, 
and helps you successfully pass and move on to the next level. Provide the same thing for math. And then the students who are in this program um, typically overlap with other university services like our TRIO programs or our other partner College Beyond. So not only are they getting these co-requisite supports, they also get the um, uh, benefit of additional tutors, academic tutors, time management tutors, uh, people to help them fill out their FOSFA applications, and just to, in general, navigate the whole university system. So even if you did have a normal school year, even if you're not first gen, navigating a university, unless your mom works at one or your parent works at one, is difficult for anybody. Um, and I think when we um, look at our disrupted school year, having that additional resources for students beyond just your normal college advisor is really important. And so we've been building in those additional supports. And then we've also partnered with one of our junior colleges, Nunez College, to provide some support for students who may not be able to make it in the upcoming years through our Pathways program, but could be co-enrolled at UNO and Nunez and get double the support academically um, and socially while they're adjusting to the university life. That's great. I mean, I love the privateer program because it does give a nice on-ramp for students. And is that a support only available if students are below a threshold? Or what if a student comes and says, you know, I need more help because, you know, yeah, I got some decent GPA, but I still need better support. How does that work? Of course, like any university, we do have our academic tutoring services um, mm -hmm. and we have the peer tutors in some of the classes like chemistry and math um, That's and some a few others across the board that students tend to have a pass fail rate a little bit higher than other other classes. So we've done a really good job, I think, of starting to strategically dig into some courses like that that students might find more difficult and then placing in the support that they need in those classes in terms of peer tutoring or outside tutoring or additional support study groups and study hours. Um, so whether you are in that Pathways program or not, all of that academic support is available to you. That's awesome. One other thing I've seen in your recent press releases is about this summer program where you have a fully sponsored by state summer program for some of the high-performing kids. Can you talk to us a little bit about that and where you see the vision is to have a holistic support for your students? Mm -hmm. So we have a summer program. I think the one you're talking about might be the New Orleans Scholars Program. Um, and that's for students who are who come from the Orleans Parish who meet certain criteria. We bring them in a little bit earlier. We weren't able to this last so we launched it for fall 2020, bringing them in early and living on campus didn't work um, very well. They, they had the option to live on campus, most chose not to this fall. This upcoming fall though, uh, we'll start again with another cohort and we'll blend the two cohorts together. So one, the previous fall cohort will act as somewhat of a mentor um, and support group for this upcoming fall, fall class. Um, it's about 15 students, they come in, we do a living learning community with them. They get additional support. So not only do they get this um, academic tutoring, but we also partner with College Beyond, which helps with other resources that we're unable to provide students. So they can give them things like bus passes or 
um, money for babysitting or transportation or food or shelter once the student is enrolled in their program as well. And what we hope to see with that program is the same completion rate or even higher in GPA as students who don't, who are not involved in the program. So these students typically have some unmet need and probably have a lower expected family contribution than, than our students who are not selected to participate in this program. And what we hope this does is boosts these students up enough so that they're able to complete a four-year degree at the same rate as their peers. That's awesome. That's really good to hear that you have all the support structure, like hearing what you're currently doing and knowing that you, before you joined here, you worked at Tarleton, like talk to me about, you know, your journey serving higher education, because a lot of this is about serving students. What made you come into yourself into this journey? And uh, like, how did it come about? So I like to tell everybody this story about me um, that's was happened when I was 16 and I was getting one of those, what are you going to do when you grow up lectures from my dad? Uh, and he made me do like a five-year report on what I expected to be. And it was not enrollment management. Um, I wanted to be an <laughs> actress on soap operas. Um, so here I am acting out every day. No. <laughs> the drama of enrollment management. And with your jazz um, hands. <laughs> yes. As the funnel folds. Um, <laughs> but actually, what I think what brought me here was I started my career in college um, wanting to be a nurse. And I changed career paths and I went into English. Then I went, um, I was a high school teacher for a while. And then I happened to find this job and um, at Tarleton, which is also my alma mater. And I, I applied. And then I realized that what I really do like is helping parents and their families. So I'm not a first generation student. My mom, my mom is, but I was not. So I had a little bit of, you know, the family push and support to go to go to college to keep going, even though I'm what I would consider a non-traditional grad. I, I took my time. I worked two jobs. I got an associate's degree. I didn't think it was that important at one point in my life to get a four-year degree. I was completely wrong about that. And we can talk about that on another podcast. <laughs> um, that's how I ended up in higher ed. And I realized that what I liked the most is was helping because I started with transfer students um, and how grateful they were when you would help them. Because sometimes that process of transferring is it's no matter how hard you try, it's not that transparent. It can be confusing. There's a lot of steps involved. Um, transfer students sometimes are placement bound or they're trying to find the right fit or they have a bunch of credits and they just want to get done. Or they might have started younger like me, had a couple rough semesters, stopped out and then came back. And then they're like, wow, this is this 2.0 or below 2.0 was not this is not me. And they're looking for some advice. And so I realized that was a very um, rewarding part of this career and my trajectory was being able to help students like that. Um, so yeah. at Carleton, I worked with transfer students. When I was at Sol Ross, I was the director of admissions and then the vice president of enrollment. And Sol Ross is a Hispanic serving institution. And there were far more first gen students there than at Tarleton. And so that was also very rewarding to meet those students, to talk to their families, but also when I became the director of 
enrollment, I inherited a group of um, students like orientation leaders and campus tour guides and all who were mostly first gen too. Um, I would say probably 98% of them were first gen. And they gave me a different perspective on what college to them was like and the students that I encountered there as well. Unfortunately, at UNO, uh, I haven't, because it's a much larger student body, I don't have that direct interaction with students like I used to have. And I do miss that. But I am able to see what comes out of it when I see our students, either our um, campus guides or our, our orientation leaders, when they talk about what UNO means to them, to our parents um, when they're on a panel or to our students, prospective students during a tour. So Overall, doesn't matter where you're at. I think what university you're at in this job, the most rewarding part and what I like about it is the fact that you're able to see people grow and realize who they want to become or start to realize who they want to become and realize the change that a degree can make in their lives. That's amazing. And it also, it must be profoundly refreshing to serve you know, first-gen students where, um, you know, you don't have, you know, your parents to to go and ask, seek counsel or uh, your brothers or sisters or cousins or nephews. So you kind of said it in passing that your mother was a first-gen student. Mm-hmm. That, that must be very interesting. Talk to me about that because, yes. you know, it, it must so, be. Um, I think I told you earlier that there I have a few people, mentors that I look up to. And one, one picture that I have that I would never, I think I've shared on social media, though I don't, I would definitely say it's not my most flattering picture. Um, But I was very young at the time, but um, it's my mom with her master's gown on with me, my brother and my sister. So my mom has an undergraduate degree in biology and she's older than me. We'll just say that. I don't think she'll listen to the podcast, but You can imagine when she did biology, she was probably one of the few women that were in that field. When she went back for her master's degree, her concentration was in education, but her field was physics. Uh, And again, another area where you don't see very many women. And what I recall, and what my sister also remembers too, um, was seeing my mom after she had come home from student teaching you know, she made us dinner, helped us with our homework, got us to bed. But if we came downstairs for anything, she would be at the kitchen table working out her physics problems on what was back in the 80s considered distance ed, which was, you know, write it out on your paper and all and then mail it into the professor and then then get it back. So that was very inspiring to me, although it didn't register at the time. Being older now, and I can I can appreciate, and having my own children, I can appreciate you know the sacrifices that she did to make it better for our family, but also for herself because I would consider her a lifelong learner. While I'm the you know I I would say I'm pretty successful in my career. My sister had went on to become a neurologist, and my brother is one of the youngest was one of the youngest in the nation to run a specific printing press operation. So. I would say thanks, mom, of course, as one of my one of my inspirations. And then I have another mentor that I first met in higher ed, who was the uh, dean of admissions at Tarleton, Denise Groves. Um, she's first gen student. And so she really mentored me and and brought me up. And I learned a lot of great 
things from her too, not just enrollment, but life in general. And she was able to give that perspective to me, what it's like to be a first, first gen student, transfer student at that too. Yeah, that's amazing. Because I think um, it's very refreshing to see somebody like your mother who's inspirational and you can see them firsthand. And it's hard on, I always worry about this. I have two kids and mm-hmm. Barun, my son is 17, is a great student and junior. And my daughter is also great. She is a, you know, finishing up her middle school. And there are certain things that we do and we don't know which ones register. And sometimes they register, they register like 15 years later, (laughs) (laughs) which is okay. But still, like, I think that's the least we can do as parents to do what we can to serve as inspiration. And I'm proud of, you know, obviously the fact you having this career and your family. Switching topics a little bit, as you see all these trends coming up, whether it is moving from a, you know, test score centric to a test optional and the admissions process changing from each institution almost on a year, year basis and the enrollment management practices changing. What do you see as a role of technology in this changing landscape of, you know, students using mobile phones all the time or computers all the time instead of like filling out a bubble sheet like you know we were we used to do I guess. right right i know remember when we used to send the little like mail in for more info cards to university <laughs> right. yeah like wait for the stuff to come in the mail and i didn't even have email obviously when i was looking at schools but <laughs> <laughs> so obviously technology as it's i think higher ed in some respects has been a little slow to adopt some of the newer tech uh, technology practices one of the good outcomes of the pandemic besides test optional, I think was we were all like, whoa, we have to pivot immediately and figure out how to deliver courses to our students in a meaningful way, how to connect with prospective students in a meaningful way, and how important parents are in that decision, you know, from my team's perspective, while we're we're talking to their student, but shouldn't we also be including the parent in that communications too? So um, in terms of technology, I think in the learning learning arena, um, and I've watched my own, own two kids do virtual learning, I felt like uh, my son's schools did a great job pivoting. If they could, if they could have harnessed a single sign-on for all the different things that they went to, there would have been no stopping them. Um, And I think now coming up after this pandemic in higher ed, we're going to have to adopt the same educational methods that the, that the schools did during this pandemic, because not one, our students are somewhat adjusted to it, but I also think they're expecting it. Um, They're expecting the ways to learn like Kahoot, which is one of my ways that I like to even use that with my admissions counselors to test Mm -hmm. them on things. My younger son likes that one too. So a reward system, like a game that helps them learn. I think stackable certifications is another option that higher ed needs to look at too. And then from the admissions and recruiting side, the ways that we've done, you know, virtual tours were nice to have. Now they are a must have. Uh, Communicating with parents was nice to have. Now it's a must have. We spent a lot of time and anybody out there in my field can agree, uh, how much time you spend planning open houses or how much time you use planning admitted student events. 
when we put all of those online last year with the vendor, the attendance rate, well, open houses, not so much, but the attendance rate to admitted student events and next step events, it skyrocketed. So yep. we know, and it's still going. So we know, even though we have a few in-person options, smaller amounts, um, we know now that things that we traditionally thought were must do's, like you must be out there at that big NACAC fair. You must travel all the way to California. You must, must, must. Not true anymore. I think that we can definitely look for ways to incorporate the tech, the technology that we have, like the virtual tours, connecting with parents, platforms for digestible bites of information that you can go back to, like a Netflix type thing that they can rewatch are ways that not only can we add to my side of things, but that academics can add in there too um, as they're going forward with educating the next generations. Yeah, I think you're you're kind of hitting it right or the ballpark about where education is headed, right? Because you're absolutely correct. There is no reason for us to have a you know, walled garden strategy where a student comes to the campus, finishes all the courses that they need to finish and gets a degree and leaves. The future is really almost like the Amazon.com where they get whatever courses they want and they make it, they may get a micro-credential, they can probably get a credit or, and they can keep stacking it to make it fulfill their educational mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, and instead of just focusing on degree, so there's a lot that you packed in this you know, future that you laid out for education as one of the big parts of your you know, VP of enrollment services is really managing the, the overall student success, right? Are you looking at implementing new forms of learning, like the blended learning? You know, obviously, we're all hybrid classrooms now because of pandemic um, or more exciting things like game-based learning, what are some of the trends of like student success uh, centric learning methodologies that you're looking at to change the classrooms of the future? Well, I can't really speak for like classroom because that that's an academic affairs thing and they don't like when I like play in their sandbox too much. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. But I do know that what they're discussing are, um, and that I, I do often discuss with the provost and the president, are using one of them that I know other universities have already taken on and have, have been really successful with, their, especially adult learners. And I'm sure Dr. Henderson probably talked about adult learners during his visit on your show, too, is um, using that work experience that these students out there have or potential students out there have and recognizing that as being not quite the same experience, but a parallel experience to what you can learn in the classroom. And sometimes depending on the area, just as much or more valuable than that. And using that towards completing a degree, I definitely would like to see, uh, especially UNO go that, that route. In terms of classrooms, one of the, uh, one of the approaches that I've been a fan of is that flipped classroom model where you expect more digestion or discussion in the online piece. And then you do more of the reading and stuff. And the, I guess I don't want to say more boring, but the more academic work outside. Of yeah. The well, I think ultimately, I think uh, going back to your discussion about mentorship, a couple of, uh, you know, in a couple of questions back, as much as we want to say, 
you know, we learn a lot from professors writing on the whiteboard or blackboard. We learn a lot more from facilitators that help us understand a problem or delve into a solution, right? Because I think the majority of classroom instruction is really focused on like content creation and content delivery, but that can be done by using available sources out there. Kids can learn from Khan Academy. They can learn from Coursera. They can learn from so many different sources. What they need help with is when they come to the classroom, uh, ask questions to the professors on things that they can't understand or or professors walk them through the nuances of the subject. So I think flipped classroom is a perfect setting for that. You know, it's really quite profound of you to be able to identify that as one of the futures. I know that we can probably speak for hours about student success and student graduation rates, but um, I would like to wrap this conversation with a few question on where do you see the future of a university, whether it is on enrollment management services or overall like admissions management, where are some of the trends that you see five, 10 years from now? Definitely, I would say, like I mentioned before, it's taking what we considered traditional recruiting and flipping it. I think more of the virtual approach is going to be important and necessary. I think meetings like what we're doing right now, this Zoom meeting or something similar, is going to be a very important part of an admission counselor's toolbox um, when they're working with their territories. I also think that parents are going to be a very influential part, um, whether they're first gen or not. Being a first gen parent, I'm not one, but I can think I can think about what it might be like from their perspective and just having the opportunity to learn more so they can support their student or having these opportunities out there where they can join on their own terms like a virtual event makes it so much more accessible for them. So in the, in the next five years, I would like to see all of us as universities become more accessible with more accessible routes for students to reach education. So looking at things like test optional or test blind, considering a whole student, including parents in that decision, looking at recruiting beyond the students. So you're not just recruiting a student, but you might be also recruiting a younger brother, sibling, cousin, um, family member, even as an adult learner. So looking at that as a whole, and then of course, always technology. I don't know what, I can't predict what's going to come after a CRM. Maybe you could, but uh, (laughs) I think I read an article one time where we would be um, either dropping off material with drones or hologramming into a student's uh, home. (laughs) And if either one of those happens, I sure hope that I am retired by then or I'm like at my beach house, which I don't have obviously, but if I did, that's where I want to be when that stuff comes into play. <laughs> All right. Well, let's see how where how those trends fare off. Um, Mary Beth uh, Marks, it's been an extreme pleasure to talk to you. I enjoyed a lot and uh, learned a lot from this discussion. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. And I'm hoping that you will be able to join our podcast in the future again. Great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Good discussion. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Illuminate Higher Education, sponsored by End-to-End Services and our Illuminate app. If something we said today resonated with you, please subscribe, rate, and download our podcast. 
and share this episode with your network. You can learn more about Illuminate app at illuminateapp.com and continue the conversation with us there. If there are any topics you'd like us to discuss further, please email them to us at podcast at n2nservices.com. That's podcast at n2nservices.com. Thank you.